Hello and welcome to Still Any Good, the podcast where we run the risk of ruining our childhoods by looking back on fondly remembered films from our past. I am Robert Johnson and I'm here with my podcast co-conspirator, Chris Webb. Hello Chris. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm okay, not too bad at all. Enjoying this lovely sunshine. Summer's arrived. It's a lovely day in Hawke's Bay today and we're a slightly different uh, recording situation here because we're doing a lunchtime, lunch break recording. We're doing a lunchtime, yes. Yeah, so we've got our cups of tea and our biscuits and... Sadly no beer today, <laughs> we're, we're drinking tea so we, are. we probably won't be as witty as we usually are. Or more witty and more coherent, who knows? Yeah, definitely. Mm. So, today we are looking at Death Trap. Are you trying to say that you don't think that you can trust me? Sydney? My heart won't take it. Death Trap. Death Trap. Trap. To show you any more would be a crime. My choice this week, Death Trap. Um, this came out in 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, a thriller slash comedy starring Michael Caine, Christopher Reeve and Diane Cannon. Mm. When I first saw it, which was probably around about 1984 when it came on TV, I didn't know it was a comedy. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it just as a thriller. Um, but of course, I think I've I've grown up a little bit since then and, and now see the funny sides of it. And so we looked in the TV Times and it advertised this film... And I always remember how they advertised it, and it said, more twists than a bucket full of snakes. Ooh. So we were interested straight away. I wanted to watch it because Christopher Reeve was in it, because he was just Superman. He wasn't Christopher Reeve, he was just Clark Kent and Superman. So I really, really wanted to watch it. Mm -hmm. Um, It stuck with me, and and so I was really, really keen to to see it again. So here we are. Great. And and I... um... Have only seen this once, probably about ten years ago, on your recommendation. Actually, that's right. Yeah, I think it was when the Sleuth remake came out, and mm. we were having a discussion. As many, many critics and people who wank on about films have have made the comparison between this movie and Sleuth, and so I think we're having that discussion. And I w- went and hunted mm. this out. That's on, right. On that I, I, I do remember that now. Yeah, have we so, known each other ten years? I, even longer, I think. Bloody hell! Great God, okay. and he seems like. 15 to 20. <laughs> yeah, it seems much longer. <laughs> really does. Anyway, so, yes, this was um, based on a play written by Ira Levin, who's, of course, well-known for his novels and Rosemary's Baby and Boys from Brazil. And mm-hmm. um, I think this was actually his only successful play. So there's a, a bit of a parallel. Yeah, that's there, interesting, isn't it? Between him and uh, Michael Caine's character. Did he write The Stepford Wives as well? He did write The Stepford oh, cool. Wives. Yes, he did. And... Um, so uh, it was a Tony-nominated play and um, directed uh, in 1982 by Sidney Lumet, of course well-known for his quite gritty... Um, He's made some of the best films ever of, made. Ever made, yeah. yes. Um, so Dog Day Afternoon, Network, Serpico. Um, a bit of a curiosity in, in Lumet's oeuvre. Yeah. You, you know, he's known for those sort of hard-boiled, working-class New York kind of mm. vibe. But I know that he was... He had a few little blips like he that. Did. I know he, did he do one of the, the Poirot ones? He did Murder on the Orient Express. Yep. Yeah. And he did The yep. Wiz. Did he do The he Wiz? He directed The Wiz. <laughs> I did not know that he yeah, did The Wiz. There you go. Okay. When, when you want a, a, rem- a Motown remake of, of The Wizard of Oz, who do you go to? Get me the man who made Serpico. That's what you want. But he is known for his sort of psychodramas, his character studies of 
men in, mm. in crisis. Um, crack, a, lot of, a lot of corruption. A lot of corruption. With, yeah. Cracking dialogue, tour de force performances, real actors director. Mm. I read somewhere Christopher Reeve saying that um, when he was working with Sydney that he was equally comfortable talking method or improv mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but yeah, slightly slightly different in that this is set kind of in opulent East Hampton, yeah. Long Island, and uh, deals with sort of conniving intellectuals. Yeah, and... I suppose there are parallels with Twelve Angry Men, and it mm. is it is some people will call it a bottle episode. It's it's yes. just a one location set, so for, for obvious reasons, very much like a stage play. Um, and the, the 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 dialogue and the discussion and the persuasion that goes on is and these days it'd, uh, it'd be a num- an inside number nine episode, wouldn't it? Really, it would. <laughs> Right, before we discuss this, um, we are going to do one final warning. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as we mentioned earlier, this, this film does have more twists than a bucket full of snakes, mm-hmm. and we are going to spoil everything. Mm-hmm. We, we'd recommend that, that our listeners out there go and watch it first. So, pause the podcast now. And, and we're back. There we are. And we're back in the room. And given it's a 35-year-old movie, um, perhaps not Google anything no, about it at no. all. Uh, I think in the film... Uh, Sydney, the, the the main character, refers to one of his plays as being the longest running play yes. on Broadway with one thousand seven hundred and ninety mm. showings or something. And yes, the actual Death Trap play has beaten beaten that record. Yes, in, in real life. Yep, there's a lot of that in it. <laughs> there is, which we'll there come is. to. So we we start off with very jaunty theme music. into it this time I was expecting a thriller mm. and then the music kicks in and I was expecting Angela Lansbury's oh, to oh, pop up I've, ri- <laughs> I've written here Murder She Wrote yeah. because that, there's that jaunty it's, do you think Murder She Wrote lifted the theme from it? I thought it was the Murder She Wrote because even the type you know the, yeah. the sort of typeface of the and it was just I, I've written here Murder She Wrote yeah. because it's just so Murder She Wrote and uh Behind the credits, there's a wall of kind of prop weapons, mm. sort of an armory of, of weapons and yes. things. And so you straight away, um, you feel like you, you're coming into this murder mystery. Who done it? Yeah, it feels um, like Cluedo. It does or feel like, like yeah. That. And it's quite. I got quite excited when I sat down and to watch that. I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be yeah, fun. Mm. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Mm. And um, yeah, so straight away we are brought into the kind of meta play within a play within a play in a movie yeah. aspect um, of, of the film with uh, Michael Caine's character, Sidney Brule, watching the latest in a string of Broadway flops, mm-hmm. Murder Most Fair, which one critic refers to as a spectacularly bad play. Uh, and this was actually shot on the actual Death Trap set. Oh, really? This opening scene, apparently. So we, were, we are watching a movie of a play within a play taking place within the play on which the movie is based. Yes, and, yes and, we are. Yeah, <laughs> I think. <laughs> That's all for this week. <laughs> Rob's had an aneurysm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, straight away you realise that this is lesser whodunit and more whodunit about whodunits. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Um Michael Caine is there drowning his sorrows. And then he does a great Steve Coogan doing Caine impression. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably the only part of the movie I laughed out loud. <laughs> I'm doing the only sensible thing. I'm getting pissed. I'm getting pissed. <laughs> he screams down the phone. Yeah. And then he gets pissed. And uh, he has got this very opulent 
uh, mansion in the Hamptons in Long Island. With a windmill. With a windmill. It's lovely. I know. And uh, we, we soon uh, are introduced to his long-suffering wife, Myra, played by Diane Thank Cannon. You. So it, it seems that her acting direction was do Goldie Horn, but ramp up the hysteria. Do you know, I, I wrote down Goldie Horn could did, have done this did better. You, did yeah, you? Yeah. Wow. We're, we're spending too much time together. I think oh, you and well, I need to... Yeah. <laughs> she, I, I also wrote down she's, she's acting like a toddler in a play centre. She's got yeah. that scream mm, that, mm. that everyone else... Oh, that really hurts my ears. It's great. When I take my kids to the McCafe, yeah. there's always a kid running through the top who's got that piercing scream. Mm-hmm. And she does this throughout... And it's disappointing because she was a good actor, uh, Diane Cannon. She's been Oscar nominated several times. She has. And she was, in fact, nominated for a Razzie for this performance. I'd lost out to the girl from Annie. I know. Which I think is a bit harsh. She's I, only a child. And I actually think uh, Annie was one of my... In fact, Annie is a potential to, to show up on this podcast at some point in the future. I think Annie, you know, she did a great job. I watched Annie last week. Oh. My kids love it. Oh, I, look, I it's, loved it's it. It's good. It's great. I loved it as a kid. It's still good. Oh, excellent. So, un- unfair, Aileen Quinn. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, we, we meet Myra, played by Diane Cannon, and she's pretty promptly berated by Sydney. Yes. A shouty movie. There is. It's, it's it's the Michael Caine. He does he does the quiet voice and he does yeah. the shouty voice. This yeah. is this is a Michael Caine masterclass. And, and and even you know coupled up with Diane Cannon, she shouts a lot. I, yes. I didn't remember it being quite so shouty. It is basically they're act, for the, for especially for the first couple of scenes they're, they're acting like they are in a stage play. Yeah. So they're trying to reach the back of the house. There's yep. a lot of oh, there's, there's a lot of projection of voices. Mm. It, it's almost as if Sidney Lumet has just plugged a camera in front of a stage and mm. is is filming a stage play. Mm. Um. Yes, yes. And so um, Sydney, uh, as we've learned, is a very successful, once successful playwright, had a string of flops, and he's received a manuscript from a former student of his named Clifford Anderson, which he believes is a near-perfect murder mystery play. Yes. Um, and he reads it again when he's sober in the morning, and it's flawless. Hmm. Uh, and he recalls Clifford as being sort of overweight and yeah, he's trying to picture him as, as yeah. one of the students. But he he does say, which made me laugh, was that the the script is so good that even a gifted direct, director couldn't hurt it, which is very funny. <laughs> yeah. I like that. And that after rereading it, he wants to beat the fat bastard over the head with that mace over there. That's right. That was, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a good line as well. It's Michael Caine is. I don't know whether it was in the original script, but. He, He's he's retained a lot of Englishness, so he mm. says words like "I'm getting pissed," and he refers to people yeah. as arseholes all the time. Yeah, yeah, which is which is brilliant. He doesn't Americanize it at all. Which not, is, is is lovely. Not at all. And and this is sort of Michael Caine doing his elegant Michael Caine. Yes, sort of, isn't it? So a really lovely smoking jacket that he wears. Very with. nice. So he's received this uh, near perfect manuscript from from one of his students, and um, starts these kind of hypothetical musings about killing killing Clifford. Yep. Whereas Myra is suggesting that he collaborate that, that, with that's him, right. invite him over. Get that break that he needs, but collaborate with it. But, mm, uh, mm. but uh, Sydney is, uh, is more about killing Clifford and, and keeping the script for himself. Mm. And we, you know, we learn that Sydney did have the longest running murder mystery in the history of Broadway, The Murder Game. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even the name Death Trap is sort of an allusion to The Mouse Trap, Agatha Christie's mm. long running West End murder mystery play. Um, and then, of course, Helga Tendorp, Helga Tendorp. Is, is, is name-dropped. That they're a sort of celebrity psychic who's yeah. staying with their neighbours. So I, I, I'm not sure about Helga Tendorp. I did think she is an odd character to be 
plonked into this mm. scenario because she's almost like a Deus Ex Machina in that she's a psychic who kind of does seem to have... She, she is a psychic. She is a psychic. Yeah. yeah, it almost seemed a bit cheaty in a way to, to it, have it, a psychic It doesn't fit with, and I'm going to use a big mm. word, it doesn't fit with the verisimilitude of the rest of it. It doesn't, no. And, uh, like, and she talks like she's on a lower low as well. Yeah, really bad accent. <laughs> um, so she's mentioned anyway, um, Helga Tendorp, and of course Tendorp being an anagram of portent. portent. Yeah, which um, she very much is. Um, and Sydney is still you know, making it very clear that he's actually thinking about killing mm-hmm. Clifford for a hit play yep. um, while at the same time My- Myra is getting is more and more nervous and we learn mm. that, that she has a has a heart, heart condition, condition yeah um, she's she's smoking when she shouldn't be and she's she's taking the shaky pills um, so so we know and of course the screaming we have barking dogs Nothing to see here, folks. No. Just just some barking dogs in the house. The, the dogs have left the room. Mm. That was Stanley, Rob's lovely dog, by the way. Yeah, and, and, you, and you can't see Zoe, uh, my partner's dog, who is currently wearing a, a nice big plastic cone around her head. Bless her. So, um, Diane Cannon is uh, overacting really, really badly in order to portray anxiety and, yes. and things. She's terrible. Um, and Sydney calls Clifford, invites him over. Asks him to bring his original manuscript. Yes. And then we uh, have Christopher Reeve as Clifford turning up with a very impressive cardigan. It's like a Starsky and Hutch cardigan. It, it is like a Starsky and Hutch yeah. cardigan. In fact, uh, this movie could have been subtitled Jewel of the Cardigans. <laughs> because shortly after that, Michael Caine also has his more traditional kind of granddad cardigan. Yep. Clifford, he he's, comes across as a little bit of a bumbly Clark Kent. Absolutely, kind of. yeah. He's really channeling, channeling that. He um, even says, oh boy, when he sees, sees one of the props and all this very... Very gee whiz, yeah. sort of, yeah. And um, wears some really annoyingly uh, large hiking boots. Which Squeaky. He, he wears for the rest of the movie. Mm. And, mate, are you... There are some are things you, where you can hear them squeaking. Are, really. are you climbing, you know, the Eiger after this? I mean, but, why? But, but that's linked in with Helga saying, man with boots, boots. will attack you. So mm. we're always reminded that he's got these big fuck-off boots on. It's hard not to notice those massively ugly <laughs> fuck-off boots. They're like the ones Elton John wears in Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> like the pinball wizard. So, um, yes, Clifford, uh, Christopher Reeve has, has arrived. He's clearly a huge fan of, of Sydney's work. And and again, uh, we're reminded that uh, it's teased out that he, he there is no other carbon copy of That's the right. script. Um, he has brought the the original, mm-hmm. and the the tension escalates. It does somewhat very much. They they, they toast to to death trap, mm-hmm. um, and then Diane Cannon in possibly the only scene where she's doing some actually quite good acting is mm-hmm. where she makes this this huge announcement where she's the the, the subject is she's trying to persuade Michael Caine not to yeah. kill him. Yeah. Um, and she's persuading him to collaborate. Yeah, but and, and she is quite good in that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah she is. And um, Clifford sort of gets tricked into putting on Harry Houdini's handcuffs. Yes. So as we've alluded to before, Michael Caine does have this armory with this wall of, of prop weapons, and um, I think there's a crossbow and a mace mm. and a morning star and yeah. things like that. And um, yeah, he's got some trick handcuffs on there. Because Christopher Reeve has, as a, or Clifford as we probably should call him, mm. because that's his character's name, he's decided that he wants out. After after Myra's big speech about well you should be collaborating and and my husband deserves his share 
he basically says, no, that's it, I'm out. He does a Dragon's Den. He and does. for this reason, I'm out. I yeah. think it's okay as it is. I'm on my way, so... He does a Duncan Bennetine. <laughs> for this reason, I'm out. <laughs> I can't do any more impressions there because one of them got done for, you know. So uh, we'll leave it there. But yeah, um, so, so Sydney... To, to get to, to say, he goes, well, have a look at this prop. And it's the mm. Houdini handcuffs, mm, mm. Um, the, uh, the Chekhov's rifle of the, of the play. Yeah. Another little sort of battle of wills where Clifford sort of alludes to the fact that he's expecting a phone call mm. and he's told someone that he's going to be there. And yes. then uh, Sydney sort of works out that, no, we yeah. couldn't have really... Tests him with an incorrect yeah. phone number. Yeah, there's yep. good, some good little yep. Um, yep. power struggle there. And uh, ultimately, it ends in Sydney... Uh, Murdering Clifford. He does. So he puts a chain around his neck and throttles him. Throttles him. Um, he dies on the rug. Um, one point one for point neatness. For neatness. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoyed that. Yeah, and then shortly thereafter, Helga... Helga ten, turns up. Tendorp actually turns up with a really bad accent. Um, and I have to say, I struggled to, main t- to, to sort of focus on the scene just because it just screamed bad 80s kind of sitcom it was very drawn out. It's way, it's way too long. Way too long. So Helga Tendorp senses a whole lot of death and pain in the house. And, yeah, and so we, that's where we kind of realise, ooh, she might actually have some... Yeah, and not is all that it seems, because mm. she, she's sensing pain with, within Myra, mm-hmm. and she's saying that a man with boots will attack Sydney. I keep calling yeah. him Stanley, but of course Stanley is yeah, your dog. Stanley's my dog. Yeah, yeah. so we call him Sydney. Yeah. It's going to be attacked by the man with the boots, but we know that can't be true, because the man with the boots has just been murdered and, and buried in the, uh, the vegetable patch, easier digging. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so after she leaves, there's a bit of anxiety, and... Shock, horror, Clifford returns covered in blood and mud, bursts through the window. And attacks Sydney with a giant log. Yes, with a log. And not, a, uh, not a poo. Not, it is an actual log. <laughs> beats him to death with a blunt instrument. Um, <laughs> That's another Michael Caine film. <laughs> That's from Back to Clear, isn't it? Bludgeoned to death with a blunt, blunt excrement. Bludgeoned to death with a blunt excrement. Um, induces a heart attack in poor old Myra. Myra dead on the floor. Myra is dead. And we realise very quickly that this has all been a ruse, in fact, to murder Myra. Yes, but to make it look like she's she's died of, of stressful natural causes. Indeed. Yeah, there's there's an element of the actual Clark Kent Superman performance and Reeves performance in this movie, isn't there? Yes, there is. Because he very much comes in with the initial uh, impression of Clifford is very Clark Kent. Yep. We do find out that that is just as... Um, That's his alter ego. His alter ego, yeah. and that the real Clifford is, in fact, a much more calculating sociopath. Sociopath. Mm. Um, I, I think Christopher Reeves' performance in this is is really great. Yeah, he's the is. standout in it. His 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 change from from the first act to the second act is brilliant. Mm. He's like a completely different person, but yeah. you can tell he is the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't changed that much. So it's totally unrecognisable. But the, the way he walks is different. Mm-hmm. The way he talks, everything. You know, the way he moves around is just yeah. it's just so different. And uh, he put, puts on that sort of loose, slightly bitchy kind of young boyfriend. Like a socialite yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Quite a brave role to take on when you're at the height of your popularity. Mm. You know, in 1982, he was just Superman. Yeah. Um, massive role model pop culture icon. And then he takes on this kind of twisted, seedy little role as yep. a uh, closeted gay murderer. Yeah, because the, the one thing we haven't pointed out, which was... 
for me as a as a twelve year old boy, the, the the big shock wasn't the fact that that Clifford wasn't dead, or the fact that that, that they conspired to kill Myra. Is the fact that there's a big gay snog yeah. between uh, Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve. It's actually not a big gay snog no, when it's you. A, it's a little peck. It was the it was the little peck that was heard around the the world, and um, <laughs> <laughs> it really. Uh, I mean, it was mentioned in, in the celluloid closet. I think Christopher Reeve said it was booed by a preview audience. And, yep. and not super, no, Superman, don't do it. I think yeah, that was another. That was a, that yeah. was a separate viewing. Where, oh my God. Yeah, this was in another yeah. um, another book uh, about homosexuality in cinema, and someone said that yeah, at, a, at another screening, someone had shouted out, "No, Superman, yeah. don't do it." And um, you, know, you know, I mean, we still have ridiculous attitudes. Well, now in 2017, yeah. can you imagine what it would have been like in 1982? Well, well absolutely. I mean, even more recently than that, I, I did a bit of reading around the, the, the Ira Levin stage play where the, the, the gay kiss doesn't occur. It, it's mm. only kind of insinuated that they're gay. And, and I saw, I think it was the, some, some gay and lesbian society in Los Angeles tried to revive the play a couple mm. of years ago. And they went to Levin's estate and, and they refused them permission to do it because they wanted to include the gay kiss. This was like two years ago. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable, and I also read in um, um, one of Michael Caine's autobiographies. I think it's called something like "Elephant and Castle." Stick it up your ass. Or something. <laughs> it's about Elephant and Castle in the title, anyway. Um, where he said his agent had had reservations about him doing it, yeah. but he wanted to kind of. He knew it was a good script, mm-hmm. and he, he really wanted to. Do it. He was aware that he might get a backlash, no pun intended, mm-hmm. um, for it. So yes, they did have that rather chaste little pick, which, yep. as we've discussed, was actually pretty controversial at the time. Um, then we find them. How many days later is this? Sort of a couple of weeks later. It's, we, we have a brief glimpse of the funeral, brief, yeah. And then I think it's meant to be from some of the stuff that Clifford's saying. It's meant to be a couple of weeks later, where he's 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 saying that he had this this period of turmoil where he was crying mm. all night. Mm. And so Clifford is now posing as uh, Sydney's secretary. Yes. And they're working together at this really lovely antique partners desk. Mm, it's nice. Um, we should get one of those. We should. Oh, yeah. we should, shouldn't we? we? Should get one for this. Ooh. <laughs> How do, yeah. How do Who we, can we kill? Yeah, well, let's start a give a little campaign. Yeah. yeah. Antique partners desk for Rob and Chris for their podcast. So if you're listening, just, just send us some money or, or some wood. We can make our own desk. That'd, That'd be, be okay. great. Yeah. Or just, you know, tell other people to listen. That would be great too. That would be nice, actually. Yeah. And uh, Sydney and Clifford are greeted or paid a visit by um, Sydney's attorney, who's a sort of his friend. Yes. Pays a visit. He's concerned about Sydney. Mm-hmm. Clifford has been sort of running interference on friends and things, trying to yeah. get around to the house. They're all a bit worried. Um, Michael Caine is wearing another spectacular cardigan in this scene. Just want to point out. He's going um, for the hutch look. In he is going for the hutch look. Um, I got a lot of cardigan envy watching this movie. Not hiking boot envy, but uh, what, is, what his mate sort of points out is that uh, Clifford did seem to be rather secretive about... Um, Manuscript yep. that he's, he's working something on. he keeps locking in his desk. Yep. Clifford says he's he's writing a, a play based on his experience working in a welfare office, mm-hmm. um, which is something I used to do. Mm-hmm. Not write a play, uh, work in a welfare office. Mm. Um, and you couldn't. There's, there's nothing that goes on in a welfare office. Oh, need more toner in the photocopier. Yeah, that would be the that would be the, the crescendo. Would be it. sort of I Daniel Blake from the other side. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that could work. Yeah. You Daniel. You Blake. Daniel Blake. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, Ken Loach, if you're listening. <laughs> it would be like when Clint Eastwood did those two World War II films, like Legends of the Human and the one with the statue in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Flags of Our Fathers. Flags of Our Fathers, yeah, that's the one, yeah. yeah. This could be that, but for Daniel Blake. For, uh, yeah. Indeed, indeed. For Ken. Yeah, humanise the, the heartless welfare we, stuff. I was one of those. Uh, yes. We were okay. You, you got Some out, of us though. were okay. I was okay. Yeah. No. You, you got out, though. You got out. <laughs> I did. Yeah, so there's a bit of paranoia um, from uh, Sydney emerging about what Clifford is keeping under lock and key in that, in that desk. And um, Sydney, uh, sorry, Clifford decides to go out to the, the shops and, and get some supplies. Mm. And uh, Sydney wastes no time in finding out what's... He does a little comedy tiptoe around does, the stage. He does a few little comedy tiptoes. And um, he swaps he swaps a manuscript out and finds out that Clifford is actually drafting a play based on Myra's murder. Yes, called Death Trap. That's right. But he hasn't done the second act yet. No, which is a kind of nice little touch because we haven't seen the second act yet either. Exactly. So the, the meta continues. It does. Um, and uh, we get very shouty again. Michael Caine gets rather <laughs> quite shouty again. Um, it's at this point in the movie that I did actually um, start to appreciate some of the long takes and you know the the, the dialogue scenes um, and this is where we really start to appreciate I think the, the skill of Chris Reeve and, and yeah. Michael Caine and Clifford does start saying, saying some quite interesting um, stuff in, the, in in this part of the film and um, you know he points out that everything we did to convince Myra that she was seeing a real murder would have the same effect on the audience yeah. And that's just a nice little wink that, you know, hey, ladies and gentlemen. We fooled you, yeah, folks. Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy that first act? Yeah. Mm, and I enjoyed that bit. And uh, you know, Sydney points out that, you know, he, he does have a reputation to protect. It might be slightly tattered, but it's still good for dinner invitations and summer seminars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is something we forgot to mention, which is mm. the reason why they killed Myra. Of course. It, it wasn't just so they could be gay lovers and run off into the sunset. Mm. It's the fact that Sydney doesn't have any money. All the money is Myra's. Mm. Um, she's incredibly rich and he isn't, so he's been living off her for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and, and we do learn when, when Sydney is talking to his attorney that he's being a little bit conniving as well because the attorney shows him Myra's worth and what he's going to inherit. Um, and he tells Clifford a much smaller amount. Yeah. So he's already got a plan in place, we learn, based on that. And, and um, you know, it's just the theme of duplicity upon duplicity between the characters, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. Double, triple crosses yep. all over the place. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and this is where um, Clifford has quite an interesting speech talking about sort of fame and scandal and salaciousness and um, Sydney's really worried that, obviously, if uh, they produce a play which describes how Myra was killed, yeah. that people are going to connect the dots. Clifford actually points out that, you know, audiences these days, they just want to be in on it. Um, all the news is up for print, and, in fact... A little bit of whiff of notoriety from Absolutely. us could actually help out the play. Which is something that Tarantino's been dining out on he has, ever since. Ever since. And I actually thought this was that was quite prescient for I ni- agree. 1982. Yeah. To, it's almost predicting the kind of reality TV sort of mentality. And Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, the celebrity of crime rather than what you've actually done. It's yeah. like that you can get a chat show out of it or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Menendez Brothers, O.J. Simpson, John Bonet, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I thought that was quite an interesting little little speech from, mm. from Clifford there. I think this is the time as well where, where Clifford, you talked about Michael Caine shouting. Mm. Christopher Reeve does some brilliant shouting. Some it's really shouting. sinister. Yeah. Just like, give it to me! Mm. Yeah. Uh, and 
it is tragic when you watch these Christopher Reeve performances and you just think, you know, there was a whole other career there yeah. that just never took off. Yeah. And he does do Sinister well. In this. Really? And yeah. he actually looks quite... He's, this, the bone structure and everything. He actually, it, a little bit alien. Mm. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. He's got these, these small, almost like lizardy eyes mm. and the jaw structures. Yeah. It's, it, it does look a bit weird. He, he could have been a great Bond villain, Christopher Reeve. That's a podcast for another time. <laughs> <laughs> That's for our next podcast, Bond Villains That Never Were. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, the tables start getting sort of turned around a mm. bit, don't they? Michael Caine then, he, he's, he's told Clifford, that, oh, okay, what the hell, let's go for it, let's, mm. let's do the play. Mm, mm. But then he immediately tiptoes back over to his, to his props and picks up a gun. Yeah, which he believes he's he's preloaded with bullets and hides it away. So again, we know that he's up to something. Mm, mm. He, he very then quickly turns that on Clifford and says, "There's no way I can let you do the play because it would ruin me." So he he leads him over to the props and he says, "Well, I'll just set it up so that you've they, they, they rehearse a little fight scene mm-hmm. um, because they always say that if if, if you're in doubt, what do they physicalize or something? Mm. So you, you literally act out. So they act out a little fight." which means that Michael Caine has got a scratch on his neck and Christopher Reeve's fingerprints are over an axe. Very convenient. Very. So then he tells Christopher Reeve, well, I'm going to shoot you in self-defence because I'll tell the police you attacked me. Pulls the trigger. Click. Christopher Reeve then produces another gun Mm. and says, ha-ha, I swapped these last night. Yeah. So he pulls a gun on Michael Caine and pretty much says the opposite. You were a depressed man whose wife's just died. I've come here as your secretary. You tried to attack me. Mm. I'm going to kill you Mm. and produce the play. This will be a cracking second act. And uh, then we have another appearance by Helga. Helga turns up. We get some yep. lightning. Yeah. Very nice touch with the lightning flashes. And, and Christopher Reeve says, well, corny but effective. <laughs> There's so many nice little bits like that yeah. in here. Yeah. Clifford, in part of his plan with Michael Caine, he, he manacles him up. He gets some, some manacles off mm-hmm. the wall and ties them up. But, of course, these are the Houdini manacles. The, these are the actual Houdini manacles. So as, as, soon as, as soon as Clifford's out of the scene, Sydney escapes. He reaches up to get a crossbow, mm. and another one of his props, and he, he shoots Clifford in the back. Yep. Then Helga turns up. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, then Helga turns up. She basically says, I heard everything outside. Mm-hmm. And so she knows that there's a big plan in place and that, that, that Michael Caine is, is, is planning to murder Christopher Reeve, but she knows his part in it as well, and she understands that somehow they, they, they conspired to murder Myra. Then the lights go out after the lightning flash. A fight ensues. We hear a gunshot. We hear a gunshot. Christopher Reeve gets up. He's not actually dead. He swings an axe towards the pair of them, or towards Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. Cut. And then we open up on a stage play, a Broadway production of Death Trap. Actors who are portraying Clifford, Sidney and Helga are struggling on a stage. We see Clifford and Sidney both fall down dead, mm-hmm. and, and Helga emerge victorious. Um, and so we learn that the final twist is that they've both died in the struggle, and Helga has stolen the play and produced it as her own. What a delicious climax. We know this because she says, waste not, want not, right at the end. And we know that Death Trap is going to be a huge Broadway hit. It is indeed, as was the real Death Trap. As was the real Death Trap. Mm. What a delightful, delightful little film. Yes, yes. We've said the term meta a lot. I think this this was meta before being meta existed. Exactly. Um, Sort of pomo before... It was cool to it's be like, Pomo. Like Steve Coogan says in, in Tristram Shandy, that mm. it was postmodern before there was any modern to be post about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, this is it. Yeah, so very you know clever exercise and you know a bit of intellectual wankery from um, Ira Levin. And oh. um, so, Chris, do you think that you know is it still any good? 
Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. it. It's not a perfect film. No. Um, it, its main fault being Diane Cannon, mm. uh, but thankfully she dies at the end of the first act, so mm-hmm. we only we only get subjected to her for about forty-five, maybe fifty minutes. Um, so that's that's almost a blessed but, relief when but, she goes. Those are some hard minutes, though, listeners. <laughs> it's 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 a t- it's tough going, yeah. but it, it does benefit again, not just from a first viewing, listeners, but from a second viewing. Mm. Because there are so many nice touches to let you know what's happening when, for example, right at the beginning where, where Michael Caine gets out Clifford's death trap script. It's a thriller in two acts, one set, five characters, a juicy murder in act one, terror in act two, an ironic and astonishing revolution, good dialogue and laughs in all the right places, yeah. which is exactly what we're treated to. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I look, I, uh, as mentioned, watched this about 10 years ago, enjoyed it then, enjoyed it again. The thing for me, this is me being hypercritical, some of the dialogue I just wish it was a little bit funnier. In terms of the, the murder mystery and the, and the battle of wits mm-hmm. and the, um, the twists and the turns, that's handled really, really well. But just some of the, the gags and the, the funny bits that are supposed to be funny yeah. just didn't land for me. And I think a lot of, uh, you know, Diane Cannon was supposed to be, I think, quite a broad comedic part. Yes. And it just, she was this grating. And I don't know, just kind of a little bit more there's a, a bit of potential for more kind of witty mm. banter how, how do you feel about the ending where, it, where it, it, it cuts to the actual play being acted out I mean they're despicable people aren't they yeah and I think that's one part of, of the movie which keeps kept me at a bit of a distance when mm. I was watching it was that there's actually no one likeable in this, yeah, in this movie true. so even even in movies like this where you know you've got an anti-hero you can still sympathise with yeah. them or... Um, there's nobody who's, who's trying to do the decent thing. There's no one trying to do... But even there's no one that you, you kind of want to do the wrong thing and kind of get in behind them. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I think that kind of kept me at a distance because if we were sympathising with Sydney and actually kind of wanted him to emerge triumphant, mm. I think there could have been a bit more... Could have been a bit more satisfying, but I thought the ending was great. It's how it kind of had to, had yes. to end because none of these despicable people no. should have emerged triumphant other than you know Helga's possibly the least despicable of them all but even then she you you think she's going to be the the good one but at the Mm. end even she succumbs to temptation and she actually steals the play and makes a fortune out of it for for me the giant bit was the actual cut from the 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 narrative in in the windmill to then cutting to a play of it yeah you almost think well well, what happened but then I I read I read some notes on on what actually happens in the stage play Mm -hmm. and in the stage play we see the fight Clifford stabs uh, Sydney they both drop down dead then the attorney turns up, uh, and they both find the play and go, mm, shall we? Uh, and it ends there. Okay. I think this is more satisfying. Yeah, yeah. That we actually see that they went through with it. Yeah, it, it totally follows on from sort of the commentary that the movie's been making about um, fame and people just wanting that whiff of scandal or yeah. just, you know, celebrity. And Pre- preparing so, to kill for, for yeah. what you want, which at the end is, is all in the hands of Helga. The one you yeah. least expect is the one that reaps the rewards from it. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, for a 40-year-old play, 35-year-old movie, we have seen this kind of thing so many mm. times since then. And so it's impossible to kind of appreciate how clever it was yes. back then. And, you know, as I mentioned, this would be an Inside Number 9, a really Absolutely. cracking Inside Number 9 yeah. episode now. Um, but, no, I thought it was I thought it was really good. Um, Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve, great. Yes. Christopher Reeve's the revelation, I think. The, the problem that uh, filmmakers and playwrights have today is, is audiences are so educated in the language of sort of cinema, cinematic yeah. storytelling, that you almost go into something like this 
predicting 10 steps ahead what oh, those twists yeah. and turns are going to be. But, but, but even these, if you compare it to, to films now where they go, watch out, there's a twist. Yeah. And I'll use the, the, the most obvious examples, which is M. Night Shyamalan. His twists in inverted commas, you're looking for them all the way through, but mm. they're, they're so kind of signposted. Yeah. This is a lot more intricate. It is. There's, there's a lot more going on mm. with his. You go, well, there's one big twist, and you go, oh, bloody hell, that's it. Mm. But with this, it's happening all the way through. Yeah. And um, interesting companion piece to, to Sleuth. Yes. As it's often compared to. Um, and and the Sleuth remake, I guess. Because I, I have seen both. Mm. The, the, the Sleuth remake suffers from having Jude Law in it. Um, and, and Kenneth Branagh's Kind of it's very showy, and, and and the Harold Pinter script is very nasty. Yeah. Um. The the, the there's no it wasn't fun, was it? Sleuth the remake. Nah, not at all. Yeah. That's what this has at least. Almost definitely. Mm. You know, you're in, like we said. You, we know you're in for a ride when we hear Murder She Wrote theme music. <laughs> Angela, <laughs> when Angela Lansbury bucks past the. <laughs> she, she may as well. She, yeah, she should have played Helga Tindall. Yeah, really she's missed got, a trip yeah. there. She would have been great. So. That's it for Death Trap. Mm. What are we up to next time? Well, uh, next week, so it's my choice. And I've decided to go for a movie which I first watch, uh, watched when I was in high school. Very strongly recommended to me by my older sister. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have been on my radar. And I think I've only watched it really once since then. But really, really enjoyed it. For better or worse, it did launch the career of a... Um, a well-known filmmaker upon us all, and I'm referring to Baz Luhrmann's Strictly Ballroom. Ooh. And you could have probably launched a whole lot of ballroom dancing-based reality I think, I game think shows did. on There's us a, as well. The, the clue's in the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, so that's that's what we're up to next week. Exciting. Very much like you, I, I saw Strictly Ballroom when it, when it came out. I think I've seen it once since then, possibly about ten years ago. Um, be fun to watch again. Mm. Not a boy's own movie, so so that's nice. That is a bit of yeah. a change of tone. It, it, yeah, yeah, and, and our first Australian film. It is. Mm. Well, that's us. It is. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me again. My pleasure. Not in a Clifford and <laughs> Sydney kind of way, yeah. obviously. It's just tea and biscuits. Yeah, there's there's no sort of closed mouth passion there's going no on pecs. here. Yeah, so uh, thanks very much. As, as always, we're, we are on Twitter. We do need more followers. We'd love some interaction. Please. Yep, so I, th- I think our Twitter handle is at StillAnyGoodPod. It is, and also we're on Instagram at, still, at StillAnyGoodPod. We're StillAnyGood on Facebook and StillAnyGood at gmail.com. So if there are any listeners out there and there are any of these films that, uh, that rang a bell with you, feel free to suggest one. Chris, did you do any uh, analyses of our uh, of our downloads and things this time? I'm glad you asked. Yes, I did. After we mentioned our, our thanks to our, our Tokyo listeners um, in the previous podcast, do you know how many downloads we've had since ten, since then from Tokyo? Wow, ha- none. <laughs> <laughs> well, Absolute. so we've, whatever we've done, we're very sorry, so Japan. It's the last time we're going to thank you. Uh, you know, but most bizarrely. Our, our last podcast was Highlander, and, mm. and the most downloads we had from it were from the Highlands of Scotland. Wow. That's incredible. They never get sick of hearing that phrase, huh? Yeah, well, it's, it, that sort of thing probably happens to them all the time up there, doesn't mm. it, if you're in, if you're in the Scotland? Um, I'd imagine there's those sort of sword fights happening constantly. Yeah. Okay, that's it for this week, folks. Um, we hope to see you soon. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.
doing the only sensible thing. I'm getting pissed. <laughs>